All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 74 of the Between the Cracks podcast. Chris, how be you? Chris is not here. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, we're, we're starting already. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but tonight's a special episode. Do you know why? No. <laughs> because, pal, it is a Patreon requested episode. That is right. Our dear friend and patron, Faye, from all the way across the pond in the UK. Faye has requested this topic. Chris, I do vaguely remember it, but I did not recall all the uh, hoopla around it at the time. Now, we're hoping tonight that we can jar everyone's memory. Because tonight, Chris, we are discussing not one, but two separate topics (laughs) that kind of mold into one. That's right, bud. Tonight, we are discussing the infamous Demon House of Gary, Indiana. Sometimes you might also hear this case referred to as the House of 200 Demons, as some tend to believe that this is actually the portal to hell. And it's oftentimes referred to as that as well, Chris. So we have quite a bit to unravel tonight. And now part two, which we're going to be discussing, is uh, your twin, Chris. The one and only Mr. Zach Bagans. Because he ties in nicely to this case. If listeners have been around long enough, we have mentioned Zach Bagans. And uh, Bill is a huge fan. And I I feel like we just had to bring him back up into the show. (laughs) Especially of his hair and wearing his sunglasses at night. I mean, you don't get any cooler than that. This guy's very into himself, that's for sure. Yes, but Chris, let's just hop right into this and see how all this ties together. Let's break it down little by little, and uh, let's start at the beginning. Let me take you back to November of 2011. That is when the Ammons family moved in to a house located on 3860 Carolina Street in your hometown, pal. Gary, Indiana. So the Ammons family consists of Mom Latoya, her mother, Grandma Rosa Campbell, and Latoya's three children, aged 12, 9, and 7. So all seems well and good. Chris, you have a beautiful little family moving into a new home. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we didn't have to wait long to find out because a few days after they moved in, they started noticing something weird that was taking place on the front porch. It seems that their front porch was absolutely covered with flies. Okay, everyone has to deal with flies, we get it. But this was an overabundance of flies. And not only that, Chris, keep in mind that this is in late November, early December. So these flies have no business being there. So anyway, Mom Latoya claims that uh, her and the rest of the family constantly just kept killing these flies, but it seems as if they just kept multiplying. So that's kind of the first uh, hint of something being askew. Now, when you think of a fly infestation, at least for me, there's one thing that always comes to mind, and that is the scene from The Exorcist. Chris, do you remember that scene? Yeah, I remember that's when the uh, priest sees all the uh, the flies that, that like are all over the window and they start attacking them, yeah. Yeah, that's freaking gross all over his face and shit. But that is kind of the same situation that we have going on here. And for those younger listeners that might not know, The Exorcist was about the demonic possession of a young girl. So keep that in mind. Because that fly scene in The Exorcist, 
parallels to uh, what's going on here. So, Chris, uh, let's keep moving along here. I'm going to assume that the Ammons family killed the remaining flies and they lived happily ever after insect-free. That is not how the story goes. Next, amongst other things going on here, you have your typical sounds of footsteps being heard, doors creaking. Let's kind of paint the picture here. This is not a very large house by any means. So if you hear something, it's close by. But the really, when things start to really be more noticeable, because obviously flies is an awkward thing to see in the wintertime, but what happens next really starts to concern the family. And that is that the grandmother, Rosa, after hearing footsteps in the basement and then and some of the doors creaking, she apparently witnesses a shadowy figure of a man pacing in the living room and also found a boot print. A boot print, you say? <laughs> now, I would not like that, Chris. Not one bit. But, Chris, things end up going from bad to worse. Now... All right, we have all these things. We have the flies, and then we have uh, the creaking doors and all the other stuff that you had mentioned. But now, things start getting physical. You can have a couple hauntings, but once they start touching you and shit, that's when things uh, take off to the next level. But uh, anyway, uh, Grandma here, Rosa, she claims that she was actually choked by an apparition. She states that she felt herself being asphyxiated, but there was no physical presence there. Nothing was in front of her, or nothing was around her neck. She just felt a presence choking her. It's not just Rosa that encounters these concerning issues. The children also. So the eldest apparently was levitating above her bed one night when having a sleepover with a friend. So now this is the second time where there has been a physical force uh, interacting with the family. Once now with the grandmother, and now the second time with the daughter. And things, well, they don't get any better, because <laughs> the younger son, apparently, has what appears to be a demonic possession. Uh, his eyes roll in the back of his head, and he begins growling, and says, and I quote, It's time to die, and I will kill you. So, Chris, that was the seven-year-old boy. So, if the nine-year-old thought that he was getting away unscathed, he thought wrong. Because it seems that the nine-year-old child was allegedly picked up and thrown across the room by the aforementioned unknown force. So, at this point in time, the entire family is getting attacked by this, this thing. So... The family reaches out to their doctor, Dr. Joffrey Aniku. I probably butchered that. Uh, and, and this is in April of 2012, so you're, you're talking about five months, and now they've reached out to a doctor. He visits the house during, apparently, a haunting, and he notices that the behavior of the children, I guess, seemed to be delusional. And so... The police are actually contacted by someone from his office. And once the police arrive, the children get taken to the hospital. And so one of the children apparently was acting normal. But then the youngest uh, son was apparently screaming and thrashing. 
he was the one that apparently had a physical possession that we've heard of anyway. The actual Department of Child Services has contacted at this point in time, what, what they're trying to determine is if these children were doing this because their mom said so. You know, their, their mom basically is encouraging them to act this way. So they're investigating this now. I guess you have to uh, investigate all avenues here. But it makes me wonder, Chris, perhaps they noticed something in the boy's behavior that may have seemed somewhat uh, rehearsed or manufactured. What? apparently had happened, at least this was published in some news outlets, including the New York Daily News, was that the Department of Child Services actually witnessed the youngest child walking up the wall backwards, and then this was witnessed by one of the DCS personnel. They tell you that a kid's walking up the wall backwards? You think bullshit, even if it's within the family. All right, you know, possibly they're trying to create this buzz, sell the story, make some money off of this, whatever. But now you have, uh, as you said, the Department of Child Services. So for, you know, whoever came out, the, the social worker or whatever the case may be, for them to say that they witnessed it and <laughs> make a report of this, maybe there's a little more uh, credibility to the claims that the family's making than we're giving them credit for. From what we hear, there's additional eyewitnesses in terms of the paranormal activity here. Charles Austin is a police captain in Gary, Indiana, and he investigated the house. And then upon exiting and entering his car while talking over the radio, his AM FM radio apparently went to static and then raised loud. And then suddenly there was a loud voice that said, you in there. And he claims that, you know, nothing like that's ever happened to him before. He believes that this was in relation to this house. Not only do we have the Department of Child Services bearing witness to this, we also have the police. There was also apparently a photo that was released apparently by the Indianapolis Star, and it was captioned saying that the photo was by Hammond Police. But they actually came forth and said that this was not an official photo and was not taken by them. So, yeah, I, I would say that they're trying to be careful with what they say. Uh, so who knows? Maybe this was an experience that he truly had. With the police having denied taking the photo or having anything to do with it at all, we get our first blemish on the credibility of the Ammons family. So things keep moving right along. The Ammons family feels that they are defenseless and they've exhausted all the options. You know, they've had child services there. They have had the police there. Nothing seems to be working. That is when they go full steam ahead and they go right to the big boys, Chris. <laughs> they went right to the church to get an exorcism. So now we have the DCS, the police department, <laughs> and the church all in agreement that this house is indeed haunted. So with all these three agencies uh, seemingly believing that this place is haunted, they have to do something and do something fast. And uh, that's when Father Magano performed not one, not two, but three exorcisms, Chris. One of the three exorcisms was performed on Latoya Ammons. Apparently, the other two were just general exorcisms for, uh, you know, whatever may be floating around the house. 
<laughs> the all-encompassing exorcism <laughs> covers doors, windows, yeah, you know, attics. <laughs> You're all in one. Well, it depends on what you paid for. <laughs> so after these exorcisms were performed, the Ammons family stayed at 3860 Carolina Street for a few more months. And uh, the demons are now extra pissed off because they've been uh, exorcised. So as I said, they lasted a few more months. And then at the end of 2012, the Ammons family moved out. And Chris, here's the interesting thing. Once they left, the hauntings stopped immediately. Hmm. Interesting. Is this a poltergeist-type scenario where it follows the family, or is it complete bullshit? <laughs> Chris, I don't think I like your tone, but um, there's a little bit of a contradiction here, Chris, because if you recall in the beginning of the show, many people refer to this house as the portal to hell. Now, if that is indeed a gateway to hell, wouldn't the hauntings continue even after the Ammons family left. So it's not as if the entity is being carried with them if it is indeed a gateway to hell, right? Wouldn't more and more demons just keep making their way up? You make an interesting point. Yes, the, the claims that are being made is that this is related to the home. So no matter who lives in there, they should be experiencing odd happenings. So the Ammons family split. They're gone. But that did not stop the story from gaining steam, Chris. And it eventually made its way all the ways to California. And that is when your hero and the second topic of tonight's show that we mentioned in the opening and your twin, I might add. <laughs> Enter Zach Bagans. I'm certain that most of our listeners are probably familiar with... Uh, old Bagans here, but uh, for those of you that do not know, he is a paranormal investigator who has a relatively popular show here in the United States on the Travel Channel, and that is Ghost Adventures. The thing with this crew is that they have all modern, state-of-the-art ghost hunting technology. Whatever that is. (laughs) Yes, whatever that is. Infrared cameras, all special lighting, everything that you could possibly want from an investigative team. But Chris... One thing they've never been able to do in any episode I've ever watched is get any kind of substantial, credible evidence caught on film. It's always something that happens around the corner, just out of the sight of the camera, or, uh, you know, the battery in the camera dies, and so on. Or the the infamous uh, fuzzy camera uh, that causes such an obscure image that you could vaguely make out except for when they draw an outline around it yes <laughs> to show you what it is yes so, so th- this is what we're dealing with as far as uh mr bagans and his crew there's no at least in our eyes here at btc i'm gonna say credibility with old zach and the gang right but nonetheless with his attention means he's gonna be doing the digging, he's going to be doing investigating, researching, and you can guarantee you there's going to be an episode on it. <laughs> uh, but I hate to uh, burst your bubble, but there's a little more than an episode on this. <laughs> Bagans went so far this time, Chris, he pushed a Zach Bagans envelope clear off the table, Chris. He decided to go and make a documentary 
on this house. That's right. He made a documentary on 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana, a.k.a. the portal to hell. It's not like your typical documentary. It's actually more kind of like a movie. The, the way that they do like the video editing and stuff like that, it's like it's a movie, and I, I'm not even sure which one you would actually consider it. The filming is actually taking place inside the actual house, though. So it is like a documentary. So, But it's very weird. It's like you don't know what it is. It, it's very... <laughs> I think I got the word here, Chris. It's very dramatic. And uh, Chris, <laughs> I, did, I, I did my due diligence today, pal. Uh, my favorite phrase, apparently, on the show the last few weeks. Due diligence. Uh, that's right. I actually watched this documentary. And the name of the documentary, if you're interested, is Demon House. And it is available on Amazon Prime as we speak. But back to your point, Chris, yes, it, it, it is somewhat movie-like. There's these instances in which uh, Bagans is describing dreams that he has, and that kind of cuts into a dream sequence with this demonic, bipedal, goat-headed <laughs> figure. So it definitely has those elements of uh, fiction. But it is noted as being um, a documentary. And Chris, believe it or not, there's actually a warning at the beginning of this documentary. Oh, please, you gotta tell me what it is. <laughs> I actually snapped a picture of it, and I'm going to read it to the good people right now. So, before the opening credits even roll in, Chris, we go to a black screen and we get a warning, followed by this claim. The following documentary may not be suitable for all audiences. The film shows people, places, and events involving alleged demonic possession. Demonologists believe that demons can attach themselves to you through other people, objects, and electronic devices. View at your own risk. Brother, that means you could be uh, possessed right now. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, I just snapped out of it. <laughs> what was I saying? So, you were yeah. possessed. <laughs> so yeah, that was the disclaimer at the beginning of the show. Right from the get-go, before we even see Baggins and his lovely um, pompadour, we get this warning. So, you're drawn right in, right? You know, oh my god, why am I getting this warning? What's going to happen to me if I watch this? It opens up with uh, Baggins talking about how difficult this uh, documentary was, how it took three years for him to film it, how it had officially, in his words here, Chris, fucked him up. Bagans likes the attention, and he likes the uh, dramatic effect, and that's exactly what he's going for right from the get-go. So, he's telling us that this movie has had an adverse effect on his life, and we come to see what kind of effects he's actually talking about at the end of the film. But, as we focus on the beginning part of the film first, it has Baggins getting the information on the house, and interviewing some of the people that we had talked about earlier. One being police chief Chuck Austin. The guy that said that he actually believed in this and witnessed some of the events that took place. And, you know, he's on camera. He still works for uh, the police department. And he's telling Bagans, he goes, you know what? This place is indeed haunted. There are spirits within the house. And there's no denying it. Myself and fellow officers have all witnessed this. So in addition to uh, him, Bagans is interviewing all sorts of other people that seem to have witnessed uh, bizarre things happening in this house. But we find out, Chris, that the one person that was not being interviewed was Latoya Amons herself, the woman who had the exorcism performed on her. Where the hell is she in all this? Chris, she split town. 
after all this stuff, and she moved roughly about an hour and a half away. So Zach and his crew get wind of where she lives. They drive to her house and try to get her to participate in this documentary. And she's like, hell no, I want nothing to do with it. It didn't seem to be so much out of fear, Chris. It seems that another Hollywood studio was showing interest in this story. And we find out here that the Amons family was definitely open to selling their story to La La Land. So that might be blemish number two. Always money at the end of these things, huh? Yes, there is. And uh, speaking of money, let's go back to Bagans and his documentary for a second. So as he's interviewing all these people, he's also doing tours of the home and whatnot. He's checking out the different rooms. And apparently it was a room where a previous resident's child had died. Then they make their way downstairs to the basement. And at this point, Bagans is downstairs with the cop uh, Chuck Austin. Old Chuck here is talking about the layout of the basement, and he makes the point that why would the whole basement have a concrete slab except for the small section that was located under the steps? Just to try to give you a visual here, the steps from the basement that were leading up to the kitchen had the concrete flooring that went right up to the front step. But you could see between the gaps on the steps that within that little frame it was all dirt. So it really made no sense that this ground would not have been covered. The officer says that they found some bizarre things when they were investigating, and specifically when they were looking at that little section of dirt in the basement. Chris, he says that they uncovered, here's a list of a few items here, a candle, okay, a woman's press-on nail, I kid you not, and a pair of... (laughs) panties. Well, it sounds like someone was having a good night, is what it sounds like. By candlelight. <laughs> yes, this has the making of either a low-budget porn film, or perhaps some kind of satanic ritual. Hmm, interesting thought. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to skip ahead a little bit, Bagans uh, brings in a doctor. Not an MD. I don't even know if the guy was a PhD. He was just a doctor of (laughs) demonic investigations, let's say. So he brings this guy in, and this guy gets a bad vibe. And apparently a few days after leaving the house, the good doctor here ends up in the hospital. He claims that many organs throughout his body were beginning to shut down. You know, he put two and two together. What he is attempting to say is that there was an entity within this house that directly affected his health. Bagan sees this. He starts freaking out. You know, we're starting to reach a little bit of a climax here in the film. And things only get more hectic, Chris, because Bagan's receives a phone call from one of his friends, uh, some woman that has been on his show Ghost Adventures before, and he's asking for her help. And she's in a different state, and she's trying to make contact <laughs> with these demons within this house through some kind of device, whether it be a cell phone or whatnot. I don't know if she was trying to call the demons, but nonetheless, she was attempting to make contact... Star with- 69 <laughs> by the demons. <laughs> yes. So, But nonetheless, she was attempting to make contact with them, and apparently, according to what the movie shows us, she does. But now, get this, this is the weird thing. Biggins goes on to cut into the movie... Uh, with a voiceover telling us that his friend who was actually in this film and provided that evidence was actually the victim 
of a double murder suicide. She, along with another woman, were killed by her husband, and then after that, he turned the gun on himself. Jesus. Yeah, so let's put all this together. So now we have two people that were directly involved in this film that seem to have become direct victims of uh, this house's powers. Hmm. Kind of crazy, actually. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was definitely a part of the film that was a bit unnerving, and I definitely got blindsided by it, and I did not see it coming. But Chris, we must continue, because there is more to this story, pal, and this is when it gets good. Now, Chris, let me ask you, is there anybody involved that we spoke of in tonight's episode that you think would somehow like to make everything that is transpiring here, the hauntings, the misfortunes of others, is there anybody you could think of that might want to make this about themselves zach Bingo. oh right you are pal so, our man of the hour zach here decides that you know what with all this going down enough's enough it's time to take off the gloves so uh bagans here has his crew board up the entire house it shows them you know screwing in uh plywood now i i don't know if it was quarter inch plywood chris or three quarter inch but i would like to know how easy beggins can just toss his body right through the goddamn thing um for all intents and purposes beggins is now locked into this place there is nowhere for him to run there is nowhere for him to hide he can not get out of this house and before he enters once again the uh cop there chuck austin shows up and he says listen you got to bring a cell phone with you. If something goes wrong and you need to get out of there, call me so I can call the fire department and get you the hell out of here, right? So he has a crisis line if need be. So with all that said, Bagans marches in there like the trooper that he is, armed with only his cell phone and some other kind of camera, enters the home, and the last piece of plywood is drilled in. My man... Zach Bagans is now a prisoner of 3860 Carolina Street. Chris, now, now we're getting towards the tail end of the movie, and God, I hope towards the tail end of this podcast. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Zach's locked inside there. All hell starts breaking loose. Zach is in a bedroom, and he's just kind of sitting there playing around on his phone, when all of a sudden he hears a door slam. And it, it's loud, and he's startled by it. And he's yelling, I don't want any trouble. Show yourself. Show me if there's somebody here. You begin hearing footsteps, the door creaking and whatnot. And then, Chris, the big reveal. A black, shadowy figure seems to dart across the room that Zach is staying in. But if you recall, Chris... I said that Bagan's show, Ghost Adventures, had a track history of technical malfunction whenever they find themselves right on the cusp of substantial evidence. Bud, buckle up, because it happened yet again. That's right. Unfortunately, the lens on Zach's camera was blurry. You have got to be kidding. We see... Through this video camera, some object, what appears to look like a person, kind of dart through. But it's it's a blurry image. There's nothing of any substance that we could take away from this video evidence. <laughs> so at this point, 
the demonic entities are having their way with uh, Bagans here. He begins to have trouble with his eyesight. He is feeling as if he's being pushed or manhandled around the house. But somehow, some way, Chris, Bagans survives and gets to see daylight. He's unscrewed from the house and emerges victorious. That son of a bitch did it again, huh? <laughs> he did it again. But this time, Chris, he did not come out unscathed because uh, he said that he had suffered some kind of eye injury. And he goes on to further report that, you know, if it does not get healed, that he is going to have to have surgery. And there is a very good chance that he would indeed be permanently blinded by whatever this entity had done to him. You know, it's mentioned, but then, uh, you know, it cuts away and Bacon's is just outside the house with his friends again. So it did not look to be that serious of an injury, Chris. Anyway, the film ends with uh, Bacon's deciding to have the house demolished and it has cranes and whatnot all going through uh, the home, breaking it up into a million little pieces. And uh, that's basically how our documentary on the Demon House ends. But what would I find funny, Chris, is that if this house was indeed the portal to hell, and Bagans seems to uh, agree that it is, wouldn't destroying the house open up that portal to even a, a larger portion of the community, being it's not locked within the walls of this home? So now there's nothing separating <laughs> that section in the basement that they felt was haunted <laughs> to the outside world. He's now unleashed the, <laughs> the demons onto the entire town of Gary. You know, we're giving Biggins a hard time here, but nonetheless, the, the uh, film, it's entertaining. I think that's essentially what he's selling is entertainment. Because at this point, you know, 30 years into it, we still have no substantial concrete evidence. Chris, uh, let's... Uh, put this all together and uh, talk about what we think. You know, initially, like we said, when uh, when Rosa Ammons, the grandmother, said that she was uh, being choked by some kind of entity, I, I, I felt that uh, she seemed somewhat credible, and I believed it. I didn't really believe the claims of levitation or, you know, the eyes rolling back in the head, but what started to turn me back to... Uh, believing the family was all the eyewitnesses from uh, these different agencies, child protective services, uh, the church, the police. Everyone said that uh, they had witnessed something evil, something not of this world. But then we learn that the family was in talks to sell the rights of their story to Hollywood. Now that raises a big red flag for me, Chris, because if you truly believe that this demon was indeed following you and your family around, wouldn't selling the story and profiting off of this horrifying event only act as an instigator or some form of catalyst to get the aforementioned demon to re-engage? To me... As soon as money starts getting involved with the whole situation, you've lost all credibility in my book. Yeah, everybody so far is looking to get paid. And then, as we said before, enter Bagans. He comes in, and you know he's looking for a payday, right? And I don't think that he adds an ounce of credibility to any of these claims. So, Chris, looking at all this, putting it together, and mixing it up in my little pot here, I'm going to say 
that the Demon House is 100% bullshit. It is in no way, shape, or form a gateway to hell. And we shouldn't mention, Chris, that many in the Ammons family completely dismissed the claims made by LaToya and her immediate family. And that should be mentioned as well, just due to the fact that there is skepticism across the board. So, Chris, I'm saying bullshit. I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, in fact, you may have not been able to pick up my tone from the beginning, but I was saying bullshit in my head this whole way through. And part of the reason is I'm already a skeptic when it comes to things like this. There's a lot of things that make me skeptical here, especially once the whole money feud started happening. I mean, forget it. I was I was already done with it, but after that, 100% bullshit. So, Chris, we were in agreement. This is all bullshit. As far as I'm concerned. But let me just ask you this little question, Chris. If 3860 was still standing today, would you be willing to lock yourself in that house by your lonesome the way old Hollywood Bagans did? Hell no. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I, I give Bagans credit for that, man. I mean, he does have some balls to stay in these places that uh, he stays in, uh, especially being locked in there. So that's it, Chris. That concludes the story of the Demon House. So let us know if you agree with us. We'd love to hear your opinion. And you could uh, get that opinion to us by reaching us uh, via email, btcpod2020 at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on Facebook, the Between the Cracks Podcast, or on Instagram, the Between the Cracks Podcast. I'll answer you back there, ASAP. So if you have any thoughts on this, please feel free to reach out to us. And uh, also, if you'd like to become one of our lovely patrons, please feel free to do that. The link for that will be in the show notes. So with all that said, pal, why don't you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh, a farewell. Oof. Mother of That yeah, was no, it wasn't bad. It was just, it's very long. Before we wrap things up tonight and, and put this all together, we should mention that uh, we were able to procure a voice recording of the demon that lived within the walls of 3860 Carolina Street. Now, folks, I want to give you this disclaimer up front. What you're about to hear is disturbing and may not be suitable for all audiences. (laughs) Wait a second. Hold on. (laughs) That demon is foul. Am I to believe that this is the demon that resided with in the walls of 38? Enough! Enough! I can't take any more.